Blog Talk Radio. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants. For a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. So, get a friend. Get informed. Get involved. We are not cattle radio. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live and from Sonoya, Georgia, home literally and figuratively of The Walking Dead here in America. And it is the 30th day of July, 2015, and we'll be live here for the next hour. Joining us in a moment will be Josh Wiley, and we have some interesting news to talk about with Josh. So the topic for the show today is media distractions. And I thought, what better distraction than a giant lion getting killed out in the middle of Africa? And the American people freak out. So at this point, I've put in some notes about uh, mainstream media. Uh, I should have put wired. I put wire. I don't know why that got... Uh, clipped, but we're going to talk about Wired Magazine a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, the Tavistock Institute and what they do, the repeal of the Smith-Mund Act, and how all of those things tie into what we're experiencing here in the modern United States. So let's take it from the top. When did I become aware that mainstream media, if you will, is not being completely honest with us. Well, it was, I would say, after I learned about the Federal Reserve System. So I learned about the Federal Reserve System through the Zeitgeist Movement, and I've probably talked about this a hundred times on the show, maybe more. But this is where my original awakening or inkling that something was afoot, something was amiss. That the information that I've been given throughout my life might not be exactly what people are telling me that it is or that it's supposed to be. So after researching the Federal Reserve System, I started to become a little bit more analytical. And over the years, it probably took about two years, I found uh, – I uh, stumbled onto Alex Jones. A friend recommended me to him. So that's where the – the political or the geopolitical understanding or beginning of my understanding took place. So everybody has to have a jumping off point, but that was it for me. So after listening to Alex Jones, I started to realize that a lot of the things that Alex Jones was saying might be considered derogatory or inflammatory or just downright um, – Let's see. What's the best word? I don't want to call it fear porn because he does have, he does make some valid points. It's um, it's just. And Josh and I will get into this in a minute when he calls in, and I think that that's him calling me right now. But what it really boils down to is this idea that we all go through, or this understanding that we're not getting the full truth. And once we've gotten past that idea that we're not getting the full truth and that maybe something is out there 
that um, that could be different than what we're being told, it all kind of unravels and that then it starts to unravel very quickly. And then if you ever see anybody talk about mainstream media, if you hear a conversation regarding um, basically planted news stories, uh, it, it very much reminds me of what was happening during the 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 days of uh, marijuana prohibition, which, by the way, is unconstitutional because they never passed a constitutional amendment. But, you know, we never passed a constitutional amendment for a, a lot of things that we that we uphold in our society today. But that's a that's a side issue. What, what I think is the most glaring weakness in the media now, once you've broken through this idea that that we need to go to one source or a couple of different sources that are that are always in our face to get the information that we need in order to go about our day-to-day life. Once you get past that and you start looking for alternatives, and we'll get into some of the traps of the alternative media as well, then you start to realize that um, that the conversations you hear in America, or at least the ones that I've heard, and I can only speak from experience, people are not thinking. They're just not. They're regurgitating talking points. It's kind of like... I used to be a giant sports fan. I mean, giant. Like I, I knew everybody's stats. I knew who, you know, I knew who we should draft in the next draft for for the NFL. All this inconsequential stuff. But I knew all that thing, all those things, and I used to listen to talk radio, and I would hear other people talk, and then what I would hear is I would hear people when we would talk around the water cooler about X, Y, and Z. People would repeat talking points that they heard on talk radio and I was a marketing major in college so I already knew how this kind of worked you know it's much easier to take somebody else's opinion recant it and then brand it as your as your own rather than do the due diligence and and go through the painstaking process of learning the information uh, reading primary sources those types of things and then coming to your own conclusion so I knew that that portion existed in society but what I didn't understand, and once it, it bleeds over into everything, and a lot of it has to do with human beings just basically being lazy. It has nothing to do with us wanting to be deceived. It has nothing to do with the controllers of this planet that actually do run a lot of the media. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the choice that you make that you're going to be lazy about information. You're going to be lazy about your opinions. You're going to be lazy about the way that you go about things. And once you've taken that, the mental leap, and for me, it started happening, and you guys can hear it in the radio show as you go through, if you go back to the older podcast. I used to be a very fire and brimstone Alex Jones, try to shake people out of their trance kind of person. But then as I progressed, and as I started to learn, as I learned about the Trivium Method and the benefits that that can have to decoding propaganda and, and, to, uh, and to basically shield you from logical fallacies, from from statistics, because statistics are a fallacy. Uh, statistics can be proven to basically say anything. So you have to consider sources, you have to consider sample sizes, all of these different things. I already understood that from statistics in college. But all that aside, it basically boils down to the fact that you have to develop a way, whether it's through the trivium method 
whether it's through learning, reading books, educating yourself, questioning things, to formulate your own opinion. Because once you know how to do that, once you know how to take information from the right wing and the left wing, you know, from a geopolitical standpoint and say, well, I'm going to say that the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Sometimes it'll be more right-leaning. Sometimes it'll be more left-leaning. Sometimes it's neither. Sometimes it's just asinine to even consider both of the two options because they're inconsequential to your day-to-day activity and they're inconsequential to future activities. So one of one of the 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 biggest political football issues that should be inconsequential for people to understand law and people that understand or or understand human activity is the idea of gay marriage. That should be inconsequential. Number one, it shouldn't be the state, the aka the government's place to determine who you can and can't live with and who you can and can't love and who you can and can't share a relationship with. So that's number one, and you can just line it out from there. But that should be something that the people on the right and the people on the left should be able to unite over. But you know what? They can't because it's too fun to infight and to try to compete and try to convince bigots to come to your side. And I think that that's where we're all kind of falling down here. And that's why I wanted to take this show to kind of recap some things on the first couple minutes. Uh, explain, like I was telling you before, how there are media outlets out there, and I've played this before from veterans today, that you know that there are media outlets that have been compromised. And I would say almost every mainstream media outlet to some extent has been compromised. And then you look at the Tavistock Institute and what they did with trauma-based, you know, trauma-based media. And the repeal of the Smith-Mund Act. So now the CIA and any intelligence agency can actually propagandize the public. They were never supposed to be able to do that. The CIA was supposed to be an international group. It was never supposed to operate domestically. We already had the FBI for that. But so now everything's kind of bleeding over. So joining me now on the show as I pull him up from his, from his homestead out in the, in the Great Plains of northern Michigan, which is actually not Great Northern Plains – um is josh wiley um josh how you doing man do we want to talk about your new endeavor and your and your new and your newly found i guess uh calling so to speak oh sure thing jake Uh, thanks so much for having me on uh recently we launched uh, i launched a new website uh called statelesshomesteading.com and uh jake you actually joined me for the first episode of that podcast. I was very uh, flattered that you. About, uh, I was very flattered that you offered me on. So thank you. Oh well, I mean, I couldn't think of anyone better to have on. We talked about local agenda twenty one for a good hour, uh, how that manifested in our in our local communities, which was I thought a fascinating discussion. I hope people will forgive the uh, some of the dodgy uh, audio issues that we had. Um, it, we're still still getting the sound settings worked out on on this new Linux laptop. Um, but also, as of late, um, my articles uh, have been syndicated on Activist Post, uh, as well as the Sleuth Journal. Um, so two pretty big uh, alt-media news aggregators, if anyone out there reads either of those sites. I blog under the pseudonym of Rusticus. Um, but before we move on to the rest of this topic conversation, Jake, I just wanted to kind of echo your sentiments from your opening monologue. Um, 
it's fascinating that we live in an age where ignorance really is sort of a choice in that one can find out a plethora of information through the Internet. Uh, and we live in a world where I would say everyone has either that one very vocal Facebook friend or knows someone who's introduced them to um, uh, to, to the cracks in the matrix, uh, like September the 11th. Um, uh, so it's, it's virtually impossible anymore to run across someone who's never heard of these things, uh, which is a tremendous advantage for free humanity. Yet at the same time, we, we see people engaging in just what you were talking about, this widespread cynicism, this parroting of information, both in the alternative and the mainstream media, mm -hmm. Jake, and I, I'm sure that this is probably part of what we're going to go into tonight, but I think it's interesting that even the alternative media has gotten to the point where uh, people who transitioned from, from mainstream to alternative media, perhaps in the wake of the 2008 financial you know, crisis, as a lot of people did, they never really learned how to think for themselves. It's just that now they're parroting an alternative media sources, you know, prognostications as opposed to those of Bill O'Reilly or mm -hmm. Rachel Maddow. I don't know if you'd agree with that statement, but... Well, I think that... Um, I, I think it really kind of goes back to the the original comment that I made about about the, the just the laziness of it. The the laziness of of the people in the media now that are that are really just kind of whether it's the alternative or whether it's mainstream it, it it's really starting to become something of a of of a just a, a practice of just sloppy journalism and and you see it from yeah. you see it from any any site whether it's just an alternative blog and and this is what kind of kind of aggravates me is that you'll read a story on one post and it'll get picked up on another you had a you had a, a post that you ran the other day and it got picked up by five or six blogs and you were like wow i can't even believe that that happened but here's the here's the overlying problem with that kind of aggregation even though aggregation is great when we're trying to get out the truth so then we also have other aggregation where it's somebody from veterans today saying that they saw a nuke go off because of X, Y, and Z, and and then that gets aggregated around. Turns out to be completely false and completely contrived, and and all these other things. But the way that it's almost like that now we have this whole network of independent media outlets that the wire story still exists outside of mainstream media, which to me is kind of scary. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know what um, a wire story is, I, um, I interviewed Ben Swan of um, – he was uh, formerly of what, – what's his, what's his site now? I can't remember. Um, uh, truth, he was truth formerly and, truth RT and, and then yeah, he's in he, truth was and, of, uh, he was out of Cincinnati. He was out of Cincinnati. He's out of um, – he's actually out of Atlanta now. So luckily we got him mm -hmm. down here for us. Uh, he went to RT for a while, but he still runs a um, – a, a, a site called Truth and Media, and I had the opportunity to interview him, and he and I discussed this um, to an extent, where he talked about what a wire story was. And basically, a wire story is something that's written at a very high level. So, let's say ABC Corporate, or um, or Associated Press, or something like that, and then it just gets disseminated to all of their local affiliates, and they read it verbatim on the air. 
Uh, I've played uh, examples of this before with the uh, with the Easter Bunny clip, and um, and so now, and you guys can just search Easter Bunny clip mainstream media and you'll crack up because it's it's really kind of interesting to hear how all this stuff plays out. But what's happening now is that now here a prime example, Josh, would be Jade Helm. You know, Jade Helm was one of those wire stories that started with, out with kind of, Jake. Is is going on as we speak? I might add. Okay, so <laughs> and I, I also might add that we we told people that this was a ridiculous hyped story back in I believe February of this year. Yeah, as just, soon as it came out, you and for the yeah, as soon as it came out, you and I both looked at this and said this is absolutely nothing. And I think we covered it in like I think we did it as like a throwaway at the end of the show. It's like Jade Helm fifteen. It's like uh, absolutely nothing. Don't sweat it. But, you know, when you look at things like Jade Helm 15 and how it got picked up and how it got, you know, how it got, you know, basically propagated through all the um, quote unquote alternative media outlets and then kind of trickled its way into mainstream media, uh, what it did in essence, um, and that's why I kind of questioned the origins of the Jade Helm, uh, which was originally uncovered by InfoWars. So once again, that's another way to kind of point your finger at those guys. And and think that they're not necessarily being um, uh, totally upfront and honest with you uh, regarding their uh, their intentions for for alternative media. So it started out there and it ran uh, across all kinds of different outlets. Everybody was talking about Jade Helm and all these different things. And so, well, well Jake, correct, what correct it did me was, if I'm it, wrong. I, be, I believe it was Dave Hodges and Pete Santilli. I mean, again, I, I hate to sling names around and in the alt media and call people shills because you know sometimes people are just that, hard workers I thought that it was, and they just don't yeah. understand yeah and but, I, yeah, but go ahead. I believe i believe dave hodges and pete santilli were the originators of the jade helm story and then it was picked up by infowars okay well infowars was once again it's an aggregator for for um alternative media yeah and these and these are two very suspect characters Oh, um, Santilli is extremely suspect, but we won't even let's not talk yeah. about eh, I don't want to talk about people that are supposed chills, but Well well this is I, I just kinda wanted to chime in on one, I think it's funny that you mentioned your uh that your previous Alex Jones esque existence as a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that I ever met I don't believe that I ever met that Jake's count. <laughs> well maybe towards the tail end. Yeah, I think that what happened, Josh, was um as I started to to try to find myself on radio, and it's a really weird process, people. And you know, if anybody's ever done radio, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You try to find your voice, your audience, and then try to figure out what you what you really want to focus on. And I was kind of bouncing back and forth: did I want to be a deep researcher? Did I want to just go over news? Did I want to let people be aware of the new world order and try to explain to them how that really works? You know, from the Anglo-American establishment perspective. And tying in larger geopolitical. So now the show is kind of a hodgepodge of all of the above. I'll do media analysis. If there's something going on geopolitically like uh, like Greece, we'll cover that. If there's something going on locally, we'll cover that. If there's not much going on that I think is worth talking about, then we'll talk about topics like this that are that are very important for the listener to understand. And it makes it easy for you to share a show like this with somebody that you know, somebody that you like, that somebody that may be on the fence that – that may ask you a question about 9-11 or something like that, and then you can just point them to uh, one of these types of shows where 
where we can go over the ideas and the the understanding of of how all this stuff works and 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 the reason that that it's happening and once again so we created this wire story with the jade helm 15 and then it became a wire story in the off mainstream media linked up into the mainstream media and here's where the problem lies with the aggregation of something like an Infowars and a Drudge Report and all of these other things, even though they had the best intentions, what that did was it basically put some nails in the coffins of the people that believe that anything outside of the paradigm that they are used to, which would be the mainstream media, so Fox, MSNBC, um, CNN, uh, ABC News, uh, all of those types of outlets – it pushed them away from any type of alternative thinking, which, if you ask me, inadvertently might have been a, a goal of some of these outlets, and I'm not going to point fingers. But what I will do is I will point to a broadcast that Alex Jones did with InfoWars, and this is the only discrepancy I ever have with Alex Jones's as well-researched as he is and as well um, – you know, because he's read a, a ton of books – so here's where here's where the problem lies. Alex Jones had um, one of the authors that I've read um, one of his books. I've read uh, in uh, the Rise and Fall of the Fourth Reich, which would be or the Rise of the Fourth Reich, which is uh, Jim Mars, and he's an incredible lecturer, or just a, a fascinating character to begin with. Uh, done a, done a lot of discovery on the uh, the JFK assassination and, and done a lot of forensic history on that. So if you're looking for some place to start with the Jim Mars, and I think it's Jim Mars with two R's dot com is his website. And I don't have any affiliation with him whatsoever. I just think he's a very interesting person. So Alex Jones let Jim Mars host the fourth hour uh, of his broadcast. Josh, have you listened to this yet? I know that you got tons of stuff going on with the homestead, but you have an opportunity to listen to it yet. I have not, but I know you have pointed in my direction. Okay, so for for those of you um that can find it, and I'll try to find out which episode it was, and I'll post it. I'll actually post it in the show notes. Um, Alex Jones has on Jim Mars, and Jim Mars starts talking about the history of humanity, basically, and where civilization began, how it began. And then right before the break, it's probably two minutes before the break, Alex Jones uh, burst in because Jim Mars starts talking about how uh, religions were created by the clergy class, which was right below the banking class, as a methodology to control people. And for anybody that listens to InfoWars, you understand that Alex Jones is a devout Christian. Uh, a lot of his um, staff are Christians. They have a very Christian, uh, Christian right-centric uh, base. Worldview. Yes, worldview as well. And so what happens as soon as Jim Mars starts talking about how religion is used to control people and get them away from the idea that we may want to look uh, skyward for human origin, a.k.a. the ancient alien theory, uh, Alex Jones bursts in and, and says, hey, you're doing great, and uh, Leanne McAdoo is going to co-host with you for the next – um, for the next uh, for the next segment. I know you're a little nervous, and he wasn't nervous. He was – he was doing extremely well. Yeah, as he's, far a, he's, he's, a, he's a pro. You just needed Leanne and her McAdoos to come swoop in and uh, distract uh, the, the half-proles, perhaps, from uh, realizing a history of enslavement on this planet. That might be an issue. And it's not necessarily that 
you know, either Jake or myself believe in any kind the ancient aliens theory per se, Mm -hmm. but we're certainly open to exploring uh, interesting or, you know, even somewhat speculative evidence related to that. The history of religion as a mind control experiment, however, we have hard evidence uh, to suggest this is the case. Well, I mean, even uh, so if you it, look at the invention of the printing, and he gets into it, he talks about the invention of the printing press, and he talks about Martin Luther, yeah. and about how that was just the basically the changing of the guard, and then that's when Alex Jones sprung into action and uh, brought Leon McAdoo yeah. out there to kind of throw every throw a wrench into everything. So uh, continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, don't sweat it. I mean, Tex Mars is a very, or not Tex Mars, too many Mars in the, Jim Mars is a very interesting researcher. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jake, in, in continuing with your thesis about the nature of the alternative media, kind of replicating the wire service mm-hmm. in a way uh, through blogging, and a lot of this I think is the way that blogging platforms and RSS syndication is really set up, because it's set up to be able to share with one another, mm-hmm. but it's become this kind of chain-sharing phenomenon where, you know, there is like a, almost not a pay-to-play. And we, we have discovered this as alternative uh, media personalities and researchers who are kind of like, you know, we're like uh, probably like right below the direct-to-DVD <laughs> release version mm-hmm. of in terms of like, you know, where we stand in popularity. So we know it's very, it's very difficult, for example, to put your work out there um, uh, it, being an unknown author, you have to kind of, or, or an unknown producer, you have to have someone who's willing to kind of, you know, uh, believes in your work and to give you a, a good head start at it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're throwing your hat into this into this blogospheric ring with so many other participants, as you noted, mm-hmm. and some of them uh, have, you know, intentions that may very well, you know, not be um, uh, not be. They're, they're true intentions, you know, that we do exist in, this, in a media sphere where disinformation is released. And a lot of times what will happen is one credible disinformation agent will release a meme or a story, and then a lot of really well-meaning people will pick up on it and continue to syndicate it without really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's an excellent example, Jake, I'm glad you brought this up. Just earlier this week, or maybe li- late last week, a video that went viral um, uh, the, the gentleman who uploaded it originally uploaded it anonymously. His name is Ryan Brooks. He does a podcast with Chris Dwayne, uh, SilverShieldExchange.com. Uh, but Ryan Brooks uploaded a video and said, horrifying Jade Helm 15 massacre, you know, revolution begins or whatever, some crap like that. And it was clearly this video from the 90s. It's a 20-year-old video from, like, some movie shoot, Right of, like, some kind of, you know, domestic takeover, uh, martial law-style scenario. It's clearly fake. Anyone with a discerning eye can tell that it's fake just looking at it. But this video went viral because a number of the Jade Helm fearmongers uh, reposted this video to the point where InfoWars had to come out and do a, a nightly report calling it a hoax. Of course, they didn't market it as, everybody calm down, we're going to expose the hoax tonight. They said, we're going to explore the shocking Jade Helm 15 video that's been surfacing on the Internet. And then they told you it was a hoax, right? So even they kind of played into the, the fear clickbait model. But it was just an experiment that Ryan Brooks did. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a fake news story. And, I mean, it was done in kind of maybe a... Um, Tongue-in-cheek a, kind a, of deal? 
Yeah, yeah, or like a trickster-kind-of-esque way. But his point ultimately was, come on, people, think about this. Like, th- think about the implications of what you're posting and what you're, and what you're doing and what you're writing. And the really sad part is, Jake, it's, it's the tragedy and the hope, to paraphrase Carol Quigley. Because mm-hmm. the, the hope is that even though this alt-media sphere has a lot of not just disinformation, but just bad information yep. that, that people post around. Um, and it makes it really hard for, for researchers, maybe like ourselves or Richard Grove, uh, who might put out you know an excellent, very thoroughly researched, erudite body of work, but then not, not get a, a, a lot of you know, people looking at that solely like, because they're too busy with Jade Helm 15 junk. Like, like, the, uh, the like, re- like, redef- like redefiningGod.com. Redefining God is another excellent example of one of these blogs that more people need to be reading. But it's um, it, the unlike the traditional wire service, I guess what I'm getting back to, we can still throw our hat in the ring, and it's very kind of it, it puts a weird feeling in your stomach when you're looking at one of your articles or one of your podcasts on a media site. That it's great that people are seeing it, but you're sandwiched right in between two articles that. You may very well, you know, know that share their worldview, or even, yeah, or even think that the that the article being written is patently absurd and is fear mongering or is releasing bad information. Yeah. But you still kind of, it's almost like a catch twenty two scenario. Yep. You know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't, because you, you're almost kind of promoting this kind of cognitive dissonance by throwing your your words out there in a way. Mm-hmm. No, it's like and, this overload when you look at alt media. Yeah, and let's um let's take a minute because you and I, I think you and I broke this down very well the other night when we were on the phone just kind of chatting. Um, so the example that Infowars does, and it doesn't happen with the with the guest hosts, people like uh, David Knight and Jakari Jackson. I I actually respect what they do, and uh, I, I like a lot of what they have to say, and I like the tempo that they deliver the news. I, I like Alex Jones from an entertainment perspective because he's very entertaining to listen to. But what you have to realize when you're listening to Alex Jones is that there is a um, – it's it's the roller coaster um, scenario. So one show, Alex Jones will take you up the roller coaster and tell you how great humanity is doing and how we're beating the globalist and how we're doing all of these things. And then the very next show or even the next uh, the next half of that show, he'll take you all the way down into World the doldrums. Huh? World War Three is on. Yeah, he'll take you all the way down to the doldrums and then just say, well, the you know, tomorrow the the globalists are, could probably release a bioweapon and take us all out and Jake. Yeah. R- Russian ATMs are crashing as we speak. That there are is behind helicopters flying over the Pacific Ocean. This is mass chaos, people. Y2K. We will be reporting all night here at infowars.com. Yeah, you <laughs> need to and if you guys I'll actually I'll link to that in the show notes for the um for the <laughs> podcast. For the people who have never heard Alex Jones's uh, Y2K broadcast, that's uh, a turning point for me. For being a little bit more critical of him. Once again, I don't mind what what they do, how they deliver in the news. It's his it's his outlet. He can do and say whatever the hell he wants. It's a free country, uh, somewhat free country. Um, but 
when we mm-hmm. get into when we get into the idea of of media in general, and uh, Josh, I want to get your final thoughts on this because I got some clips that I want to play, and and I want to start talking about some different topics. But um, when we start getting into media, and when we start trying to understand what's going on in the world, I think the best advice I can give you is the advice I gave you on the front end, people. You have to go to the primary source documents. You have to go and read what the policymakers have said, not what the politicians have said. Read Zygmunt Brzezinski's works. Read Henry Kissinger's works. Read some of the Defense Department stuff. Read white papers off of the Rockefeller Foundation website. They post them everywhere. They've posted them all Chatham over the place. House. Chatham House. Exactly. There's an- Chatham House, the Trilateral Commission. Yeah. People, this is, we live in an age of open source intelligence, and this is what we were talking about before, Jake, that, that you know, it, it, ignorance truly is a matter of choice in the 21st century. But Carol Quigley says this, and the CIA says it as well, in that most intelligence is actually open source, roughly 80% of it. Most of what the, the CIA or the former KGB or the FBI, most of what they're looking for is commonly available evidence that they just have very well-paid analysts to put it together for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people like ourselves or Richard Grove or James Corbett, we're not nearly as well-paid as an FBI or CIA analyst. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, we're, we're, we're doing, uh, you know, similar, similar jobs. Mm-hmm. So when, when you see stories, the best of alternative media, in my view, should seek to fill that, that gap. These people have these intelligence and policy analysts that are scheming, and they're not sharing this information with the public. And the best of alternative media should just be trying to explain this to the people so they can be more educated in their decisions going forward. Mm-hmm. But what we see is this strange mutation where because of the scary nature of a lot of what these people do behind closed doors, mm-hmm. people just milk that as an enterprise as opposed to making it about, you know, fulfilling the highest, the highest needs of humanity and this, this, trying to close this knowledge gap that we have between this elite class and, 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 and the populace. That's, that, should, that should be our goal. And it's, when you get into alternative media, you think that that is the goal. And, you're, you know, uh, that I, had, I had this sort of naive belief, like, yeah, that's, of course that's what I'm working for. You, you aren't working for the same thing. And you, you have this kind of level playing field where you think everyone is working towards this common goal, and most people are. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people who are out for themselves, and then there are another cast of people who may or may not be out for you know, various three-letter agencies. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if you uh, wanted to close this segment out or if you wanted to keep going, but... Well, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna close it out, and I do want to um, I do want to leave you guys with a quote, and it's from um, Between Two Ages, um, and let's see if I can find the right one. Uh, I think that it was. Gosh, I, I lost my place here. Hold on a second, Josh. Um, yeah, yeah f- forgive by me. Yeah, by Zygmunt Brzezinski. It's uh, oh, this is not where I wanted to go. I thought that I, I thought that I had this already clipped, and it looks like. Uh, 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 oh, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. All right, here we go. So this is from Between Two Ages, and I'm just going to read this paragraph because this is what we we all need to understand. 
Life seems to lack cohesion as environment rapidly alters and human beings become more increasingly more malleable and manipulable. Everything's to be more transitory and more temporary. External reality more fluid than solid, the human beings more synthetic than authentic. Even our senses perceive an entirely novel, quote, reality, one of our own making, but nevertheless, in terms of our sensations, quite, quote, real. Most important, there are already widespread concerns that the possibility of biological and chemical tampering with what has until now been considerably the amenable essence of man human conduct some argument so excuse me human conduct some argue can be predetermined and subject to deliberate control man is increasingly acquiring the capacity to determine the sex of its children the effects through drugs, the extent of their intelligence, and to modify and control their personalities, a.k.a. serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Speaking of the future and the most decade, at the most decades away, an experimenter of, intellect, or of intelligence control asserted, in quotes, I foresee a time where we shall have the means and therefore, inevitably, the temptation to manipulate the behavior of the intellectual functioning of all people through environmental and biochemical manipulation of the brain. Now, what does that mean to you, Josh Wiley? And who is Zygmunt Brzezinski for those of you, for those that don't uh, for those that aren't familiar with him and his work? Well, a brief bio on Zygmunt Brzezinski. Uh, that book, Between Two Ages is actually kind of what launched him uh, into his kind of uh, public career of fame. Before he was more of an academic, he attended McGill University, which is kind of the Harvard of Canada. Um, he was then picked up uh, by the Rockefeller family, much like Henry Kissinger was in the, in the 50s. Uh, uh, the big new Brzezinski came a little later. Um, but together with David Rockefeller, these two really hit it off. And the big new Brzezinski's vision of the, the technotronic era uh, that you just described, Jake, was already what the Rockefeller family and a number of, you know, kind of this elite class had in mind. So they founded the techno uh, or excuse me, the Trilateral Commission together in 1973. Uh, the big new Brzezinski later went on to be a foreign policy advisor for Jimmy Carter, uh, where he created the Mujahideen, has been intimately involved with the Obama administration. Uh, he was Obama. Also... He was Obama's policy advisor for his first term. Yes. Uh, and Zbigniew Brzezinski is also, he's a little, a little bit nuts, um, but he's hes also uh, a very traditional, in terms of it, it, the building of empire, the way he views the world, it's a very Anglophilic kind of worldview, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of Anglophile as in the, a love for of the British Empire. Uh, he views the world as uh, the the center of the world as what he calls the central the Central Asian heartland, the Eurasian heartland. Uh, and this is the same terminology that the British Empire used in the 1800s. Right. It's all about controlling, essentially, you know, uh, the center of the Eurasian continent, which is a lot of, you know, Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. uh, parts of Asia, uh, as well as the Middle East and Persia. Right. Zbigniew Brzezinski says controlling this is, is controlling the world, which is perhaps why he's been so involved in that area over the years. Uh, but as it pertains to what that quote necessarily means to me, 
I am reminded of the Canadian-born media analyst, uh, member of the Century Club, and possible CIA agent uh, by the name of Marshall McLuhan. And McLuhan made a statement once, uh, and he said, the medium is the message. Uh, and his essential thesis is that it didn't necessarily matter what the content was on in a book or on a radio broadcast or on a television, but that the very nature of the medium itself would influence the way that someone thought. He said, for example, if you were to compare a reader, reading is a very independent thought. One line, one's eyes scan you know, the pages one line at a time. You're contemplating what is going on in the book individually. You're formulating your own opinion of what's going on individually, alone, in silence. Mm-hmm. Now, compare that to a television where the, it's just flashing images and lights at you constantly. Mm-hmm. You have absolutely no control over what is on that screen other than to turn it on or off. And um, it's noisy. It's bright. Uh, it's more of a communal activi- activity. Typically people, you know, at least back when McLuhan spoke in the 60s and 70s, be a familial activity, mm-hmm. uh, and that, you know, it was a more, it bred a more simplistic thinking mind. Now, I don't know, necessarily know what McLuhan would have said about the rise of the Internet, um, but it, to put a cap on this, it gets back to that theorem, theorem of tragedy and hope. You can be a reader or a radio man or a television man on the Internet. You can be any of these things and more. Uh, you can have a hand in creating as well as consuming uh, but what we're finding, Jake, is that very few people actually produce content on the Internet, let alone worthwhile content. Um, most people are, are passive consumers of, of it. Uh, and that is uh, that really is the vision of Brzezinski's technotronic era. Yep. And he even, uh, he even gets, managed, but, he, yeah, he, he even gets into down. it later on in the book, and you kind of alluded to this, that... Um, that in the technotronic era that people will not read, people won't listen to radio, that uh, visual communications will basically override everything. And that's where we see mm-hmm. uh, the the nature of society like the going. 9/11, the 9-11 Commission Report comic book, Jake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. So that's the, that's the idea of the media, people. And once again, uh, more mainstream media... I would deem as infotainment, so take it as a grain of salt, like um, something that you would read out of the National Enquirer. That's basically what every uh, media agency is basically turned into now. Uh, You do have some spotty um, uh, media shows that you can digest, uh, like No Agenda Show is actually one of my favorites. I I got Josh turned on to that one as well. Uh, they do very good work. They're very thorough, and if they if they screw something up or mislead their audience, um, they tell you, and and it's very it's very honest, and and they'll call uh, BS when they see it. So I think that's a it's a very worthwhile podcast to check out, uh, mainly because it's all listener supported. It is not supported by any other funding mechanism. They don't have any kind of uh, terrestrial affiliates like uh, like an Alex Jones show or anybody like that. So it's very much um, driven by the content is driven by the people, which makes it interesting. But uh, the James Corbett report is another one. I, I think that his work is outstanding. Richard Grove's work is outstanding from tragedyandhope.com. And I do want to mention this. Um, I've only had one experience with this gentleman, and it wasn't a pleasant one. But I don't like it when the IRS comes after people. So um, I would say that um, if you have an opportunity, um, one – 
libertarian activist named Tony Stiles is actually being, um, I guess, pursued now by the IRS. Uh, he needs some funding. So I, I know that our audience is pretty substantial. So if everybody can go over and donate a dollar or five dollars to Tony Stiles Fund to help him fight the IRS, which if anybody listens to this uh, podcast in any any sort of duration, you understand where Josh and I both stand on that criminal organization that was um, basically founded by uh, an, an illegal an illegal edict. Uh, created by the bankers. So, if you really want to fight tyranny, if you really want to to uh, to support somebody that is being harassed by the collection agency of the private Federal Reserve, then by all means, go support Tony Styles. So that's my little plug for him. So, Josh, we got about fifteen minutes left. We could do some extra time if you got it. But uh, I did want to get into some clips because um, I found some things that I that I kind of listened to passively over the last couple of weeks, and we haven't done a show in a while. And there hasn't been a lot of of things that have caught my eye. But what I would say that caught my eye was the segment that No Agenda ran uh, involving self esteem. Now, you grew okay. up you grew up in this generation where everyone gets a trophy. And for those of you that don't know, I'm um, I'm around 36 years old. Uh, Josh is a little bit younger than me, so he grew up in the generation. I'm 23. So there so. you go. So there's the there's the age gap. So we're able to offer two different perspectives. But I will start out with this self esteem, and this was something that was run on. Real Sports with Brian Gumble. So let's take a listen, and I'm going to play probably the first clip, maybe uh, the second clip, and then we'll get into why this is so important to understand for the big picture reason. And and that's basically what we try to talk about here on the show. We don't try to talk about the little stuff. Obviously, uh, a lion got shot in Africa. It's really sad. Um, you know, uh, he went and evidently got a license. I haven't even really followed the story, but people... Why don't you research why the World Wildlife Fund got set up? If you once again, this is people being intellectually lazy. The World Wildlife Fund was set up, and I brought this up to you, Josh, and you were like, "I, I, I don't, you know, I don't doubt it." But you looked at it, you're like, "Holy crap!" So, for those of you that uh, understand who Prince Bernhard was, Prince Bernhard actually, uh, a former Nazi, helped set up what's called the Bilderberg Group, which is a uh, confab every year of about 150 of the top most uh, influential people around the world, whether it's bankers, um, heads of media operations, uh, heads of state, uh, you name it, heads of the IMF, World Bank, they always go. So Prince Bernhard set up the World Wildlife Fund as a methodology to um, skirt poaching laws. So he set up his tax-free foundation as a way to say that he was going to go in and save all the animals, and he ends up shooting a lot of them for sport because that's what the elite do, and <laughs> that's how they roll. Because you're too stupid, slave, to think that a nonprofit organization that is set up to save the animals could ever have any kind of nefarious reasoning whatsoever to be set up. So anyway, that being yeah. – that being, well, well, go ahead. The Oh, sorry. Wasn't it the Archduke of Edinburgh did something very similar in India? Uh, and it's also funny that uh, Prince Bernard of the Netherlands there sets up the WWF uh, and then hires um, uh, Julian Huxley to be its director. 
uh, Julian Huxley, the eugenicist, the brother of uh, Aldous Huxley. Who wrote A Brave uh, New World, amongst other things. Who wrote Brave New World, all about, all about Zbigniew Brzezinski's technotronic era, only 40 years prior. prior. <laughs> and, you know, Julian, Julian Huxley also coined the term transhumanism. <laughs> yeah. Nah, but, the, you know, forensic history is for loons, Josh, as you once said. So here we go. Here's our self-esteem uh, for Kim the... Kim Kardashian's di- on, man. Yeah, exactly. So here, um, what uh, lipstick is Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner wearing this weekend? That's what we need to care about. So here is the first, um, first of the few clips from the self-esteem piece that was done by Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. Here we go. It's Take a the listen. final day of the season at a youth sports league outside Tampa, Florida. And while you may think you're just looking at kids playing games, you're actually looking at a lot more. Nothing less, in fact, than a seismic shift in American culture. Is everybody ready for some trophies? That miraculously produces nothing but winners. How many kids do you have out here today? About 650. And how many kids will get trophies? All 650. You think this is a good idea? We think it's a great idea. Josh, do you think that's a good idea? Uh, it's, it's the best idea, Jake. I mean, I, I grew up in the give everyone a trophy generation. Look how I turned out. Right. Well, I think you're an exception rather than the rule. So uh, continuing with the clip. Brian Sanders is the president of I-9 Sports, which runs more than a thousand youth leagues across the United States. And I would almost bet you he has some affiliation with a trophy company, but I could be wrong. <laughs> this is the division champion trophy. Correct. And this is the all-star trophy. Mm-hmm. Can I assume the all-star trophy is the one given to everybody who's not a champion? Yes. Why is it necessary to call them all-stars? It's to make them feel special and um, help them understand that, that by participating, being part of the team, by completing the season, they are a star. Special is a key word. I've heard that a lot. Yeah, we want to make we want to make each child feel special. Oh man! So here comes clip two, Josh. Here we go. We're just going to roll through these and then we'll break them down. How's that sound? Sounds great. This isn't even a trophy for effort or trying. It's a trophy for participation. It sets the bar pretty low. Gene Twenge is a psychology professor at San Diego State University, who says America's trophy culture is actually hurting our kids. It no. seems so harmless. Little Johnny got a trophy. Yeah, he made 22 errors, you know, and <laughs> he batted zero, and the team finished last. Give the kid a trophy. To which you say? To which I say, give the kid a hug, and let's practice more and figure out how not, not to make so many errors. But a trophy puts what in his head? A trophy puts in his head that, that whatever he did was good enough, even when it clearly wasn't. And that's not how the real world works. So you're saying this is bigger than Little League? Yes, and it's an it's a issue of the, the culture changing. That change in America's culture started a generation ago, when educators started to be influenced by trends in psychology. And the big new idea was something called the self-esteem movement. Good self-esteem is as important as good nutrition, good health, and in my view, more important than making good grades. Researcher Ashley Merriman has written extensively about the movement. The state of California had a task force in the 1980s to study self-esteem. And we thought, especially for kids in struggling communities, if we just told them they were great, 
they would believe it and then they could achieve more because they were certain they were great. And sports, little league coaches, teachers, anyone working with kids said, well, how do we build kids' self-esteem? Well, we give them stickers that say, you're great, and we'll give them a trophy and we'll give them a medal. But you're saying there's just one thing wrong with this theory. None of it works. Everybody gets a trophy every single time. What's the point? Merriman says by creating the illusion of success for children, by making them feel so special, the self-esteem movement has failed to teach them how to actually succeed. To Merriman, losing is good for you. All those trophies, not so much. I hate everybody gets a trophy programs. You make it sound like it's a felony to give... <laughs> A seven-year-old a trophy. Why are you such a Grinch about this? I want kids to improve. And I want kids to be engaged. Because if you understand psychology, then what you're doing is you're basically fielding, you're, you're, you're fueling a society full of mouth-breathing morons. Excuse me. I had to interrupt right there. In the process of they get a trophy. Yeah, the mouth-breathing morons get a trophy so they can come and take my wealth when I become successful. That's awesome. They won't want to improve? You, why would they? Why do they need to? You've already given them a trophy. You've made them be a winner. Now the kid's in college, and he gets a C because that's what he deserves. Mm -hmm. What happens? Well, often they freak out. All right, Josh, this is where I, wanna, I want you to comment after this because I, I, I'm assuming that you've probably encountered this. Uh, freak out. Yeah. Well, they don't believe it. Something's wrong. That teacher must be out for me because he doesn't know how great I am. And the reason the kid thinks he's great? Is because we've told him that. By giving him trophies. His whole life. It's saying, you're special. Here's your 17th place medal. <laughs> and they make 17th place ribbons now. No. Oh, yeah. Turns out all those trophies and all the praise don't lead to achievement. They often lead to delusion. Take those college students. Studies show that these days they believe they're much smarter than they actually are. The root of the American problem right here being defined for you in front of your eyes. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, I chose to play these clips. This is the problem with American society. The percentage of college students who think they're above average in academic ability has gone way up over a time period when actual performance is either unchanged or down. So that wait, wait, again, wait, wait. So, so their ability is either stayed the same from, let's say, the 60s till yeah, today. Yeah, exactly, yep. Or it actually went down. But when you ask them what they think of themselves, they say... I'm fantastic. All right, one more clip, Josh, and then I think we're, then we, can, we can comment on this. A recent survey revealed that a third of college students say... They deserve at least a grade of B if they simply attended most classes in a course. But if you think today's college kids are pleased with themselves, wait until you meet the generation coming up. Preschoolers sometimes now sing a song to the tune of Farajaka that goes like this. I am special. I am special. Look at me. Look at me. We're creating narcissists. We're creating narcissists. It's for free. All right, last clip, Josh, and then we'll break all this stuff down. Half million kids nationwide. A few years ago, she did the unthinkable. She suggested that not everyone should get a trophy. 
We used to give trophies all the way up to the 19-year-olds. Um, oh, wait a second. Yes. Are you telling me 19-year-olds who are on the last place team got trophies because yes. you were afraid of hurting their feelings? Well, it was just something that was always done. Anderson decided that at least the older kid should actually have to win to get a trophy. Ah, that's that's ludicrous. when the fun really started. Some parents went out and bought their own trophies for the kid, for the whole team. In fact, we wait, have wait, this wait, family. Wait. Some, that... some parents went out and bought trophies because yes. you weren't giving them trophies Correct. anymore. They hate you. I, they must have they hated were, you. They were pretty angry, yes, and what a bunch of weirdos. That we were crushing the dreams of the <laughs> little athletes. <laughs> yes. Every fall, Anderson reluctantly still puts in an order for her eight and under kids. Twelve hundred trophies in all. All right, I'm stopping it right there. Somebody is making bank on this stuff. I'm sorry. Somebody is making bank. Local, tro- local, local trophy shops around uh, around the country, everywhere, Jake. So, and, uh, what do you, what's your plastic? Uh, what's your yeah? What's your take on this, man? I mean, you you grew up as a millennial. You you've probably uh, have you ever dealt with people like that? I was born in the early days of 1992, and unfortunately, Jake, uh, it's uh, terrifying how insanely you know self-aggrandizing and entitled for seemingly no reason you find a lot of your peers are in this generation. Not everyone, certainly. Uh, for example, I, I recall growing up being a part of the Every Kid Gets a Trophy generation. Uh, and We got trophies uh, all the way through Little League, I think around 10 or 11. Um, but they, they were clearly labeled as uh, participation. Um, and the big trophy went to, if you were on the all-star team, you got a bigger trophy, and the winner of the tournament at the end of the year got the trophy, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, even at that point, the teams were ranked, and the, the all-star team played the winning team, and of those two, that's who went to represent, you know, yeah, the, the district, district for yep. the mm-hmm. Little League World Series circuit. Yep. So it was very, it was, even at a young age, it was still very clear to you that, you know, if you sucked or not, <laughs> right. you know, at least it was abundantly clear to me, you know, having been on very successful teams as well as, cause it was kind of a luck of the draw thing, the way that they arranged it. So, so some years I was on a great team and others, you know, I knew that we were the worst team in the league. Yeah. Um, and I also, I also recall like in, in, even at a very early age, I remember in third grade, there was this also, also kind of this reversal of this meme, almost a, an overt public shaming, kind of like a Japanese-style school, where, for example, we had multiplication tables, uh, and the, fast, the times would be listed, you know, um, on the on the whiteboard until you did the next one. So mm-hmm. everyone always knew everyone else's ranking, and you could, you could hear the pencil scribbling away and then the click on the desk, right? So you, it was almost like this race between 30 kids, and at the end of the semester kids who were the fastest, literally, quite literally, there was a Sunday, a picture of a Sunday, and the faster you got, the more scoops you got, the more toppings you could put on it. So quite literally, you know, the, the kids who never finished, they got like a consultory scoop of ice cream. 60 seconds. you are sitting with your, you know, giant banana sundae, uh, like quite directly, you know, mm-hmm. creating that caste system. Yep. So millennials have kind of, I would say, I don't know if that experience is through, across the board, 
but they grow up in this kind of weird, strange mix of of, of entitlement and public shaming, as you know. So it's well, almost like well, there's but, a fixed caste system, but you should just be happy about it. But what it, what that breeds, and for those of you that can't stay with us, um, you can feel free to call in. We're going to go a little bit over here. 602-753-1916. That's 602-753-1916. If you want to hear the rest of the show live, or it'll be uploaded later on this evening, uh, possibly tomorrow, uh, worst case scenario. Ten seconds. Once I get the audio up, so... But Josh, doesn't this breed a a society that's extremely dangerous? If you have something like that, where you have people that are that are rewarded for participation, that are you know that are told how great and wonderful they are all the time, but then you have the the overtones of the competition and all these other things that are that are layered on top. Doesn't that create a society that that? That's somewhat competitive, but then entitled at the same time. It just seems like a very, a very dangerous scenario to me. Yeah, doggy dog, dog entitlement. It's uh, if not a secondary psychopath style society, it's certainly a sociopathic and narcissistic one. That's what I was uh, you getting run across, at. Yeah, Jake, you'll, you'll find it's very easy. I mean, it's fairly easy to tell with people, but you'll find it. And I don't know if this is simply an attribute of most youth in general uh, throughout time, or if this, if this crisis of consciousness truly is endemic, you know, only in this generation that is existing right now, mm-hmm. um, but you can tell quite clearly that there are an increasing number of young people that are narcissistic to the point of almost being soulless. Yeah, I would agree uh, with that. I've, you know, I don't know how else to describe it. It's quite disturbing, to be honest with you. Well, but. it it creates a society that's. All right, so you have, let's say that you have these these conditioned narcissists, and and then you overlay that with the idea that they're like the guy said that they believe that they're smarter than they are. And so what we come up with is exactly what we're kind of seeing manifest in in the world where um, where it's all about um, like uh, climate change, for example, is is something that you can't even have a, a rational conversation with a, a millennial about because they've been conditioned their entire life to accept this thing. And if you if you don't accept it, then you basically are fracturing your your entire understanding of the world and and what you've been told to believe so they hold on to it and and then they have the arrogance or or the the narcissism on top of that to just say oh well you don't know what you're talking about you obviously haven't done any research and then you ask them what research they've done or what papers they've read on it and then they shoot out a bunch of uh, documentaries or they they tell you to watch Al Gore's documentary, which had 73 pages of retractions in it because it was so faulty. But it's just this idea that you're, you're building a society of people that, that are easily conditioned, that are very narcissistic. So it makes them, to be honest with you, it, it would make them an incredible, incredible slave class if you got them conditioned to believe a certain mentality, which is, I think... And I, I don't mean to draw too many conclusions here, 
But I think if you look at the people that support support somebody like Bernie Sanders, who's a who's a devout socialist, and he's not, you know, um, he doesn't hide the fact that he believes in socialistic ideals. Uh, I think that that's where we might run into a challenge, because if you had people from the Ron Paul camp, you know, back when Ron Paul was running for president four years ago, uh, they would engage people and start having conversations with them. And I see the people that are in the Bernie Sanders camp, if you question anything about him or if you question anything about uh, his economic principles, they they don't try to educate you. They ch- they just shout you down. And and it's just to me, it's very dangerous. That's I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. And I had to post something that you have people out there really supporting Bernie Sanders. And I like. Uh, some of his rhetoric, I don't like his solutions, obviously. But what I told them, I said, I said, here's what I can tell you to all you Bernie Sanders guys out there. We will see you in the anarchist forums next year once you realize that anybody that says anything bad about the establishment will never have a shot of becoming president. So just like Ron Paul, everybody was fired up about Ron Paul he was going to audit the Fed. He was going to do all these libertarian things that we all thought was great. And then we saw what happened. You saw what happened in Maine where they basically shut down a bunch of election booths that weren't – they didn't even have snow. They just shut them down because they knew that if people showed up to vote that he would actually win and that would give him momentum and you just can't have that. So all I got to say is you know, people that do hashtag feel the burn will just do this. Hashtag see you in the – anarchist forums in a year maybe then you'll realize that nobody nobody can beat the establishment the only way that you beat the establishment is by not participating so um josh josh your final thoughts and then let's uh let's wrap this show uh for this evening and uh, we'll be back to the regular uh tune in next thursday at uh 9 30 we'll be back or i'll be back live i don't know if josh can join me but uh uh, we'll be back for We Are Not Cattle. We'll be back next Thursday night, uh, 9.30. And I will also be broadcasting live on uh, jrevradio.com. So, uh, Josh, your final thoughts on the episode that we just uh, covered from from media to uh, conditioning an entire group or an entire segment of society uh, and, and how we think this is all going to play out. Sure. We've got some really interesting stuff going on at JREV in the coming months too. So I hope people, you know, who can who who listen to your show on Blog Talk and are frustrated by the end getting cut off, that they go to a platform where they can hear the whole thing live if they if they so choose. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jake, uh, just to kind of put a cap on the conversation we we're just having, I think it's interesting that both Bernie Sanders and Ron Paul uh, were have kind of been catapulted to you know some form of you know alternative political stardom largely by the youth, um, because they speak to resonant issues uh, with, in terms of the hopelessness I think a lot of millennials feel. And that's, a, that's an interesting combination. When you get an entitled generation that is now entering, a, a, quite frankly, a Depression-era workforce, uh, it's almost as if they're having kind of their preconceived notions about you know, them being so smart and special are kind of crumbling before their eyes, right? And they're falling into traps like debt. And some, some of these youths, you know, rally around someone like Ron Paul, who says, end the Fed, 
you know, we, we all know it's rhetoric and political posturing, but he said end the Fed. So presumably the kids who, you know, went to these rallies and researched, you know, what the creation of money truly is, uh, these kind of things, would have come to the conclusion that there would be catastrophic consequences to ending the Fed, but that they were willing to, you know, face the responsibility of, of making sure that no one else fell into the traps of usury ever again, right? Right. Whereas the Bernie Sanders crowd says, bail me out. <laughs> right. So take the, there's, take there's the, both take of these the mentalities at work in, in a single generation. So yeah. it's a, we, we're, this is a very dualistic podcast that we set up here, Jake. There's a lot in, in this topic as well. There's a lot of tragedy and a lot of hope. No, I would agree with that. And that was a great way to kind of, you know, put a, a capstone, if you will, on everything. Uh, cause, well, I can't. I guess we can't put a capstone because the great work's not done yet, Josh. But um, the, chief, the chief cornerstone. Let's start. Oh, there we can do a cornerstone. Which, uh, by the way, if anybody wants to watch an interesting documentary, uh, watch the documentary where they go looking for the cornerstone in the uh, in the United States Capitol. And um, yeah, it's interesting. So uh, maybe next show we'll talk about flat Earth, Josh. I'm I'm intrigued with this uh, this notion of the flat Earth. I've watched. You'll have the... to educate me because I I'm I'm not gonna look at it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. I only have I, I only have so many gigs of bandwidth out here in the wild, and I don't know if I want to devote an hour and a half worth of you know video playing to why the Earth is flat. It's even a, if the, even if the Earth is flat, Jake, what can I do about it? That's very. That is a that is a very. It could be a cube. It could be a Saturnalian cube, and I couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> Or we could be, you know, uh, well, whatever. So I guess the the big takeaways from the show, everyone, are um, yeah, trust no one, read primary sources, uh, be aware that even alternative media will have um, maybe not have the answer. They might just have an alternative theory to the mainstream theory. So do your own research, formulate your own opinion, and then who knows, at the end of the day, uh, someday you may be right. Uh, thanks to my guest, uh, Josh Wiley uh, from statelesshomesteading.com. Be sure to check out our podcast that we recorded on Agenda 21 uh, under statelesshomesteading.com. Uh, Josh sent me a bunch of documents. I, I read painstakingly through uh, 250 pages of PowerPoint presentations. And our analysis was pretty interesting. I was uh, re-listening to it the other day. Uh, the only thing was uh, Josh had some clipping, but that was uh, that was all my fault. So I'll take full responsibility for that. So if you want to, I uh, forgot to uh, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. We are not cattle, the number one. Be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We are not cattle TV. I will be uploading some new videos this weekend because uh, I've been lazy. So. I'm not the I'm not immune to the to the laziness of human activity, but we all have to start stepping Swap our game. Is one of the seven deadly sins, Jake. That it is actually that it is. So if you believe that that whatever, all right, we'll we'll save all our Christian comments for later. <laughs> so uh, thanks for thanks for joining That's me. Dante's uh, Inferno, baby. Oh yeah, the the fire and brimstone, absolutely. So thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And uh, peace, love, and liberty. Take care.
using Blog Talk Radio.